thank you for agreeing to meet with us um, and do this. We're so excited to have a chance to have a conversation with you. Awesome. Yeah, so tell tell me a little bit about, uh, so Todd, Sante, uh, whoever wants to go first, about yourself, your research, and, and then we'll get into the paper of, you know, how you came up with it and some of those types of questions, so. I don't know, Todd, do you want to start? Uh, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, um, I'm i an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School, just moved from Boston College last year. Um, and I do, uh, this this paper is really a, kind of a reflection of my own evolution as a scholar. So the paper started out as my second year paper at the time, it was purely quantitative. And through my dissertation project, I converted into a qualitative researcher. Mm -hmm. And I did a qualitative dissertation on entrepreneurship in Detroit and this paper. And I'm doing uh, other studies in the area as well. So uh, entrepreneurship in, in you know, underprivileged places, underprivileged population. And recently, I kind of expanded, I did a little bit of pivot into uh, the research on crisis. So I'm also kind of ex expanding my coverage into uh, crisis responding or innovative responses in the uh, in the circumstances of crisis. So that's how I am evolving, and uh, I'm really excited and honored to be here with with Todd. Um, and I'm Todd Schiefling, and uh, assistant professor at Temple University's Fox School of Business, and. Um, we were overlapping, Sante and I were overlapping PhD students at the University of Michigan. I was in the sociology program and he was at the, the business school. Um, so um, that was a huge opportunity for me. Uh, so many collaborations come out of the, the PhD students that were in the same cohort or same time period as me. So a little bit of advice for, for PhD students, look out for the, don't, don't just focus on working with faculty. There, there's a lot more mileage to be gained out of working with your, your peers actually, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and yeah, I was uh, so happy that Sante invited me to, to help him develop the, the paper. Um, it really fits into my broader research about um, sustainability. And um, most, of, most of my papers are in that area. And I'm interested in um, uh, social movement influences as well. And also, uh, I guess, competition around sustainability. And that's what kind of got me so intrigued about the B Corp thing was mm -hmm. that, you know, seeing these, these mixed messages, these mi like, we want to uh, transform the world, but um, you know the capitalism is broken. Capitalism is terrible. We need to transform the world, and also we need to um, we need to uh, distance ourselves from all of the people that are pretending to fix the problem. The ca capitalism is full of uh, of uh, greenwashing. Yeah. All these people pretend that they're doing good things, but they're not. They're really good things. So I found that so fascinating, <laughs> and um, and. Maybe this is true for any paper that gets into ASQ. It's it's just been an amazing experience. Like where it where it went, where it started, and where it went, and the whole journey was just. Um, uh, I can't. I still can't quite believe it happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, could you map out that journey for us? That's you know something we're both very very interested in. Yeah, um, Sante, you probably have better recollection than me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a roller coaster ride. Um, it has the paper has changed a lot. Um, yeah, so we started out, so the paper has, I think, three parts, so three investigations, that we, that's what we called it. First two was in the original manuscript. Um, the first two is talking about, you know, how B Corp certification is driven by kind of two opposing behaviors by large corporations. 
corporations who are you know trying to uh, you know maximize profit uh, and maximize shareholder value, and also corporations who are trying to co-opt sustainability costs. Right. So we were our data, our quantitative analysis finds that B Corp certification is actually driven by both of them. And then uh, in the second one, we are we kind of get a little bit deeper into the um, the qualitative analysis of the motives why B Corps are becoming uh, becoming B Corps. And from there, uh, we found that um, you know the, there are mixed motives. There are two major motives. One, trying to you know revolutionize the capitalism, and then Second, they want to exactly what Todd just said. They want to distance themselves from these greenwashers or the pretenders or uh, uh, corporations who are just doing CSR on the surface. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the paper. And through the review process, the reviewers wanted to know so what, right? It's always the go-to question by the reviewers. And they want to know the implication of uh, the movement having both motives. And from there, uh, we did a little bit of a qualitative um, investigation into how the B Corp movement evolved over the past 10 years. And we found that uh, having these mixed motives actually helped them navigate the challenges of growing social movement. Uh, and we called it paradoxical mobilization. I hope that we could put that forward a little bit more. But uh, yeah, so that was the, uh, that was the, Kind of brief summary of the evolution. Todd, is there anything that I'm missing? Um, just how how crazy it all felt at the time, I guess. <laughs> because um, yeah, we had a, we had a really inspiring um, editor, uh, Mark David Seidel. Actually, I felt I almost felt like I was back at a PhD seminar because he was like, you know, what is the big what is the big idea that's going to come out of this? And like that was his encouragement. It was just like have these big thoughts and stuff, which is quite different from most review processes that I've uh, been in. And, um, and so we ended up, um, I think there, there was, there was actually another study along the way that we removed. And then we added, you know, we, we, uh, we entirely removed and then we added this new study and, um, and this whole like theoretical framework related to like paradox theorizing. And, you know, none of the reviewers had asked for that specifically. They just said like, what are the implications of this process? And we kind of just like followed the the data and our kind of sense making about it. And it, this theory just seemed so applicable and useful and, and insightful, I guess. And, um, but it was like, it was probably, what was it, the second revision at that point? <laughs> um, when we added that and nobody had, none of our, again, none of our reviewers had, had specifically asked for this. And so we, you know, we're making major removals, major additions, new theoretical frameworks. And we're getting friendly reviews and people are like, yeah, this is pretty good. But like, what are you thinking? <laughs> are you sure you want to do this at this stage of the review process? Um, but it just, yeah, we had this like really encouraging guidance to like figure out what the big conclusions were and stuff. And um, it seemed to really fit the data. Yeah, I, I should say the the, the, the the ask from the reviewers, especially at that stage, I think it was the second R&R, &R, it was pretty, still pretty vague. And they were not very specific, so it sort of gave us a lot of room for discretion. Uh, but at the same time, the direction—I mean, the, the north north star was clear, like the—but the path towards that north star was not clear at all. And uh, we had to be a little creative, and it worked out, luckily. But uh, yeah, but big part of it is Dave, uh, Mark David, who who was really inspirational and who really guided paper towards the uh, 
uh, towards the right right direction. Yeah. So Todd, you said something really interesting. You said that this kind of, I you know he was an inspiring editor and you felt inspired and the data just kind of spoke to you and you came up with this theory. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Like, okay, you read about paradox, paradoxes in general or about paradox theorization or how, how did this theory kind of jump out at you through the data um, as you were trying to make sense of this kind of vague, you know, feedback from the, from the reviewers? Yeah. Um, so none of us are, are neither Satya nor I are like paradox experts or had worked with this literature before, which is part of maybe why it seemed so risky to do. Um, but, you know, I think it's becoming like a really uh, important and, and, and well-known theory now. So we were both probably aware of it and, and you know, had, had read a few papers in that area or something. Um, uh, Wendy, uh, Wendy Smith had, had visited um, Temple while I was here and gave a great talk. Um, and, uh, and what I found anyways, not just in this paper, but in other papers, is that this literature is so powerful and insightful about so many things. Um, and and uh, whether you want to use it or not, it just seemed, it almost seemed to I think to me anyways in that process, it seemed like if we didn't bring this theory in, we would be describing the same things that the theory was describing, but without it would have been like I, I, all the ideas came from this literature, but we didn't refer to the you know if, if we had tried to avoid it because it just seemed so applicable to um, what we were seeing in terms of this um, you know this ongoing this persistent tension between scaling the movement and maintaining purity of the movement. Um, and like all the strategies, um, that's that's how I recall it in conversations with, with Sunday. I was like, this is like this literature is describing exactly what's happening in with B Lab and the the tension that they have. Um, so it seemed it was it was a, to me anyways it was a very compelling magnet. I felt I felt magnetically drawn to it that it was just like fit like very it was very it, it, it shed a lot of insight on what we were um, observing. Yeah, I think it is the it was the really it tells us the beauty of inductive qualitative research in a sense because I remember so as a we did this collaboration we we've, we've been working on this for almost four years I think on only with ASQ I think ASQ we submitted in 2018 and it came out in 2022 um, but before then we were also working on this paper together so it's been a long time and every every meeting we left a log and I I think we have a log of like a long Google Doc where uh, that captures all the things that we discussed. And I remember in one of these meetings, I, I remember it was cold, it was, it was winter. And in one of these meetings, when I, um, when I described, you know, some of the themes from the qualitative data, I remember Todd saying that uh, this feels like paradox. This feels like uh, the paradox theory is, is, is uh, operating here. So that was the moment when uh, we kind of started thinking about it as a paradox. Um, so it was really like, you know, people say that in qualitative data, the data shouts at you, the constructs, but that's not to be, I don't, I don't think that's true. Uh, the truth is that somebody has to, somebody has to hear that. Somebody has to hear that screaming from the data and it was Todd in our case. So Todd luckily captured that screaming and uh, we, we now have that. So in a in a similar vein, it sounds like there's a lot of different iterations of what this looks like. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the research question itself, sort of how it merged and changed um, over over time? I, I'm sometimes I'm hoping you have a better memory than I do because <laughs> it definitely did change. Um, uh, there there were several submissions. You know, there was like it was at a couple of journals before ASQ. 
kind of changed, you know, across that process. Um, and then I think what, so did you recall in our first submission to ASQ, were we still using a resource partitioning framework? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That's, that's where we started. Yeah. Which has totally gone from the paper. It's totally changed from that. That was the big change in the first round. The reviewers didn't like it. Reviewers really liked the empirics, the data and findings, but they didn't like the framing. So, and we're very, you know, with any, so after you're seeing some of your reviews go different directions and stuff, uh, you know, you're just, you're grateful to the reviewers that they said, there's something here, even though there's all these problems, there's something here that, and like, you're giving us that opportunity and that encouragement to, um, to, uh, to build, build towards that. Yeah, yeah. And after that, what uh, did we settle on the current framing? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I, th I think it. I think it developed. You know, like a bit more over that process because it was probably just more about like social movement or like this alternative markets. Right, right, then, right, right. Um, that's the yeah. That's yeah. The framing that we settled and did. Yeah. Um, Our last, and I remember we had to revise the. Research question once again with the addition of qualitative part because um, yeah because the, the whole study whole paper changed quite significantly with that so yeah it's, it's and I think there's a tension between um, this like in, inductive or versus deductive approach like for a long time we were opening the paper with these two quotes these contrasting quotes from B Corps that had these different motives and um, through the review process or like really at the end I think we ended up removing those and make it a bit more theoretical driven of this, like this, te the, these um, different moments of mobilization and, and this tension around scaling. Right, right. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, I don't know, we put in there like that we had, it was a, <laughs> you call it a multi-method, multi-period investigation or something. And that, you know, that what, that we, we, we do um, reveal or in, in the writing, we discuss, um, how one discovery led to the next investigation. Yeah, that's that was what's what's unusual about this paper. I think this is definitely the structure of the paper. It's quant call call uh, kind of flow sequence, and that's pretty unusual. And we had a reviewer who wanted to make it more conventional. Uh, the reviewer, one of the reviewers, suggested starting with call and develop hypothesis out of that and test the hypothesis. So. Make it as make it into qual quant, and we I remember we resisted that, and we wanted to I think we said something about like in the reviewer response letter we said something about we want to keep it uh, in aligned with the way the paper was developed or something, and uh, other reviewers and the editor supported this idea. So, so why did you want to keep the structure as is? What was what was taken away from it when you switched up that structure? Yeah, first of all, yeah, I don't know, Todd can also speak to that. But first of all, it just uh, didn't feel right uh, in the sense that it's not, I mean, it's it's it, it's not the way we developed the paper. It's not the way our theoretical insights were derived. So we wanted to be as authentic as possible to the way it was developed. And ultimately, that quant call sequence Worked served well for the third investigation, which was more kind of uh, uh, which revealed a new theoretical insight. So preserving the original structure, uh, we thought, serves well for this addition of the final piece. 
and make it more coherent as a whole. Um, so, but at the same time, you know, kind of resisting this convention um, is always is always hard, and we were quite nervous about it, to be honest. <laughs> and, um, but we, yeah, decided to kind of persist with it. Am I right about this thought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't remember all the details perfectly, but there's always this feeling like when you a lot of my papers have have multiple methods in them, and there's always this feeling of like you can feel like you're lost a little bit, like these could go in any order. Mm -hmm. uh, or like there's like a they're very modular you could start yeah. with this and start with that and, and then go to this um but uh but yeah once once we added this third piece i think then it it really everything kind of built we felt anyways that the flow built more effectively towards into that third piece which became really important for us mm -hmm. yeah and also i think one of the critical factors there was that uh, when you when you add this new kind of piece especially building on the new piece that uses a different method, uh, you know, the editor invites new new reviewer, not not the reviewer for, but oh yeah, expert. And we were lucky that the method expert that was invited and in, uh, in, uh, that was added at the last round, uh, really, the the person was very positive uh, about the changes that we made. And and I remember Mark, Mark David mentioned it and the letter, and so it it worked well. So that's another caution for the future authors who want to add like a new method to an interesting paper. So uh, I have another. Oh, go ahead, Mary. Oh no, no, I was just uh, I was going to say this is very exciting because uh, it was the first time I've seen something like multiple methods. I mean, it usually is build as either mixed method or one or the other. So this is quite quite exciting. Yeah, it's, and like I said, it's very unconventional, and, and I think that's kind of why it was so exciting for us. Right. Um, so you said you said the paper took a number of years, a long time to develop. And I noticed one of the sites in there that's quite a bit, and that's that Lee Hyatt and Lounsbury paper that came up kind of it almost that was 2017. You said that you were developing the paper during this time, but um, that's one of the papers that was you know I, I know Sean Hyatt really well, and that's kind of it almost seemed like that had a lot to do with what you guys were talking about. Can you kind of tell me why that site was kind of interspersed throughout there, but it was later in the paper when it like it wasn't published until later. Did you could how how did that come to be? Yeah, th I think that reflects the um, the reframing process um, mm -hmm. that you know starting with like resource partitioning framework and like more like straight social movement stuff, and then um, going to this market alternative thing. And it was, um, I guess, it was just maybe there's some like broader reason for all these ideas being developed and, and scholars are trying to study what's happening in the world or something, but it, it all converged, you know, in a way that was productive for us to have some of these, to have that paper and, and some other papers that came out um, while we were the paper, while our paper was under review um, that um, yeah, really helped situate and frame what, what we were doing. Um, you know, that, that paper, like it, once we, once we developed this third part and talked about this idea of paradoxical mobilization and that there's these two alternative models, of you know focusing on um, scaling the movement and, and risking co-optation versus focusing on the purity of the movement and risking kind of marginalization, that um, you know that paper gave you know really helped us um, provide a lot of the the framework behind that idea and um, the examples that we could use to develop that framework. Um, so yeah, that that paper and a couple others. There's there's sort of been a, a number of papers about um, these market alternatives and the problem of scaling them. Um, and that, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was one of the, the most important papers for us for for developing yeah. that. Yeah, I remember if I remember correctly, that was the paper. That was the key paper for our 
second revision, first revision, when we were like shifting from resource partic partitioning theory into market alternatives perspective. I remember that was the, uh, the key paper. At the time, it was a very recent paper. And I remember, you know, this theoretical reframing, it really required you to look at your data from a completely different perspective, as if you are seeing the, the data for the first time. And that process can sometimes be very hard. And uh, having the key paper like that, the et al. paper was really uh, the paper that allowed us to see our data in a different way. And uh, and it was very generative. And I, I love Sean Hyatt too. And it's funny that he was the one of the, I think he was the first person who emailed us right after this paper was published, like in press, right? Uh, and it was like Saturday morning or something. I was really excited, <laughs> partly because somebody saw that our paper was published in Saturday morning. Partly because this is the person, <laughs> this is the person who gave us an idea to right to kind of uh, resuscitate or restore uh, our paper. Hmm. Well, how did, so he was the person described that. What do you mean by that? He resuscitated or restore it. like his paper or he himself or how did how did that work? His paper, his paper. Leo, okay. that was that. But with that paper, we were able to with that paper and some of the other papers that uh, Todd mentioned, we were able to reframe and the reframing really. I think worked. Yeah, I can't imagine how that difficult that must have been to reframe it, you know, because you've looked at that you said something really that that made me think you said that you looked at your data from a, almost like a different perspective. So this paper allowed you to do that. Um, what was then your next step? Okay, so you see that you need to reframe it, you see this paper, and how did you turn that into, okay, well, I know what we need to do now? Or was that a process thing correct? <laughs> Well, it was, um, I mean, I guess the broader context to that was, it was a very open-ended um, decision letter. Mm -hmm. It was like, it, there was no guidance as to like, this is this is the theory you should use. This is the argument you should make. This is the, this is how you should frame it. There was, it was more like, these are the problems with the theory that you are using. And I think, I think what Mark David, the editor was, was said was like, you know, if you want, he left open that option. We could persist with the framing that we had, but we would have to um, substantially um, make, you know, make a really substantial revision to that framing somehow. Um, and then kind of like, or like, you know, develop a different framework and here's like 10 different ideas or something that were raised, but like no, no specific guidance as to this is the direction you should go. So it was, um, you know, again, like Sante was saying, like there's something interesting in the data here and the phenomenon and you haven't quite framed, you haven't quite captured it yet with this framing. Um, and I think, to, in my recollection of it anyways, it was like, you know, probably a bit of a brainstorming exercise, like how, you know, how, what would this direction look like? And what would that direction look like? And eventually, you know, through many meetings, like trying to convince ourselves that this was like the way forward and the most exciting and, and productive or powerful way to, to frame it. Um, and for the next steps after that were, um, well, we, you know, there was, there were some like empirical changes at some points and stuff like, we had another study we added and there, to try to address, like, what are the consequences of these different frames? And the first direction we tried to add was actually, um, I think it was about the individual P-corps and their participation in the movement, like like their, their B-lab scores and their longevity, their persistence in the movement and stuff. And we were interested in um, some of the um, kind of additional participation or like uh, leadership roles and recognitions and stuff that P-corps can get. Um, so that was our initial attempt to look at um, the significance of these different frames. Mm -hmm. And it didn't quite ultimately in the review process, it didn't quite 
get us there, we realized that it wasn't really the most important thing that was happening. Um, Sante, I, yeah. I can't quite remember what else were the next steps along the way. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember we shifted towards more more towards the um, movement level, right? We were like, yeah. our intent is to look at, so that the impact of these different motives on the um, participation of individual B Corps in the movement, that one didn't resonate too much with the reviewers. Mm -hmm. So in the last revision, we kind of shifted towards the movement level. What's the implication of having these mixed motives in the movement um, on the growth of the movement itself? And for that for that redirection um, that uh, the, the Lee et al. paper and the reframing really helped us because those papers uh, allowed us to think about you know the evolution of movement itself like as a whole. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that that redirection um, kind of helped, and uh, reviewers find uh, some some value in it. Um, yeah, I think. But and speaking to that specifically, um, was it 2018 when B Corp started trying to actively incorporate uh, incorporations into their thing? They had this the the you know, movement makers and things those types of things, right? So you also had this because it's a qualitative method. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you had inflowing more in a more of this data kept in, you know, like, hey, wait, they're doing this now, they're doing this now, they're doing this now. That's happening throughout this entire review process of your paper, right? So how does that's a really good point, <laughs> right? I mean, because, so yeah, if uh, if the review process hadn't taken so long, then we wouldn't have we would not have had as much to write about. <laughs> yeah, and we kind of uh, we kind of left. Yeah, you know, at the same time, you, it still seemed like an, an early early phase. You know, it, we cannot conclude like what is the ultimate effect of this B Lab mm -hmm. effort. Um, and there and right now there's a really interesting evolution in, in their certification too. So um, it's. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. That uh, that the things were unfolding as we were <laughs> revising the paper for sure. And how did that? I mean, when you saw these these things unfold, were you excited or like, oh crap, we didn't think about this? <laughs> you know, how did that work? <laughs> I think it was actually uh, it was actually a very um, beneficial discovery. Like that, we probably had our heads down, focused on like the literature and like our the methods we were using for most of the time, and it was only uh, when our viewers pushed us to like think about the bigger trajectory that we looked up and like realized, oh my gosh, all these things have happened <laughs> since um, you know just in the last couple of years, or that all of these things had happened that were really relevant. Um, that's how I, I I felt. Maybe Sante, you were probably keeping better apprised of all the developments <laughs> in real time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, recent development by B Core Movement and B Lab definitely helped uh, us seeing the pattern more uh, clearly. Uh, but at the same time, when we looked into the data, so we started collecting this qualitative data on B Corp movement's evolution in our last round of revision. Uh, we realized that uh, these kind of their very cautious effort to expand the movement, scale mm -hmm. the movement, has started uh, early on. Like to, I remember 2012 when they start first started certifying subsidiaries of non B Corp corporations. Um, that was, I think, one of the important. Uh, turning points for them, mm -hmm. and then all the things that happened later, like 20, they have this long process to be able to certify large corporations, and that, as as Scott, as you mentioned, that uh, culminated in 2018, and then these right now they're still doing it. They're yep. now overhauling their certification scheme, right, so that uh, it can avoid all these criticisms that uh, this is just the B Corp certification itself is just greenwashing. <laughs> 
And what would you say? And what would you say to that? Right. I mean, so that's, that's the salient question of your research. You know, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of, of a movement saying that, you know, we've got to be anti-greenwashing and we have this audit system. Um, What would you say to them, you know, incorporating these different changes into their, into their ethos now, you know? Them meaning B-Lab or the? B-Lab. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's, uh, that's, so we, Todd and I are in the process of, uh, so we actually had a meeting with them. And we oh, wanted, interesting. Yeah, we wanted to study, you know, kind of as a sequel to our paper, we wanted to study like ongoing evolution of the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are so, uh, we have strong desire and very little time <laughs> to do that. So, yeah, we, I still want to pursue that lead, but uh, both of us are, you know. Kind yeah, of, the time is not right. Yeah, but um, it's it's all unfolding in real time. Um, yeah, and we, uh, you know, we've been involved. You know, this it, there's really um, publishing these these papers can really open up a lot of really neat opportunities to mm-hmm. to engage with um, the public and with the people you're studying and stuff. And so Sunday and I have both done um, media uh, media appearances and, and things because there's a lot of interest in in B Lab right. and B Corps. Um, and to, you know, the people have asked the kind of question that you've asked, I think, and, and what I would say anyways, is that um, that greenwashing is actually a really productive um, phenomenon mm-hmm. because it's, nobody is ever perfect. There's no perfect, there's no like at the end of, there's no moment where, where all efforts stop and you've arrived at sustainability or, and things like that. It's a continual growth process and, and greenwashing is, um, is a form of critique to to call out organizations that aren't meeting expectations of their stakeholders and say you need to do better. So I think it's actually a really powerful um, motivator of improvement, and that's kind of what our paper speaks to is that um, B Lab has and the movement has benefited from the fact that they've had um, a diversity of ideas within the movement, and some people you know are, are focusing on growing the movement, and other people are focusing on holding the movement true mm-hmm. to its roots. And so if they you know, if, if B-Lab were to ignore that, it, to lose that diversity of perspectives, it would be to their detriment. Um, and so it's important that they are, they do have criticism and that, and that hopefully they, you know, not go to, to, to the other extreme and, and, and just listen to the critics, but, um, but to kind of heed multiple voices and perspectives. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, I guess another point you brought up, I just wanted to mention is that we did. We were able to meet with um, B Labs uh, research team, mm-hmm. which is which I was just totally blown away by that they've they've created their own research department, um, which is a small department, but um, and they um, they are collecting every paper written about um, B Corps and reading them, which wow. I like, so I was just completely blown away to that this organization is paying so much attention to because you know, we think we write these papers. And the best we could hope for is that another academic reads them, but uh, <laughs> I was completely blown away by that um, and that they had, you know, they said really, they were really generous with their time and their, their support and saying that they found our paper insightful and they'd shared uh-huh. it with, um, you know, other leaders at the organization. So, you know, that was like, that, that was probably the best thing I'd heard, you know, it was just a, it was a really meaningful moment for me anyways. Um, and, um, oh, I'm, I'm going in so many tangents now, but, uh, but they, they're as part of this research program, they're creating a, a fellowship to bring PhD hmm. students into um, their their proprietary data set. So when, when companies fill out their assessment, the um, for the ones that become certified, the kind of the aggregate scores are reported. Yeah. 
but then they have these very detailed scores for the you know for the certified companies, but also for all the organizations. Many more organizations take the assessment than get certified. Um, so they they've created a fellowship to help provide greater access to researchers to um, kind of more micro data. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so that was many different tangents, but <laughs> all things that I wanted to mention, I guess. Well, I think one thing you mentioned, Todd, is really interesting um, and, and almost necessary is transparency now is also a currency, right? Yeah. Um, and and your, your papers, you know, I mean, that's a future direction of it, but um, that transparency for them is also a currency and that might be part of this, you know, yin yang that like on your diagram that they're trying to deal with is like saying we're transparent about it. And then you said gathering these different diverse uh, stakeholders and the ideas specifically from that. The fact that they're reading a paper, that must have been so, so exciting. I mean, Sante, how did you feel when you I, heard that? I, mean, I, sure that was like... <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> what what do you yeah. think, Sante? That shouldn't be the norm, right? That's what we're, we're writing for, right? The, you yeah. know, it shouldn't yeah. be the norm, but it's, it's not, obviously. So that's that's awesome. That's super exciting. Only yeah. it's a long paper. There's no way you can actually read it, but they they, they get the they get the main idea, and I was really grateful. Um, yeah. So what did they say then? What was their? What did they get out of your paper? What did they say? How did that involve? This is this is super interesting. I think the big one, big thing is it, it really provided them to a, a new perspective through which they could understand their own movement. Mm -hmm. Right? For, for us, we, we've been thinking about this. We have developed this framework and perspective. So it's obvious to me and maybe obvious to the, to the uh, readers, academically. Mm -hmm. But for the, 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 for the members of the movement or the, the, the people who are doing the movement, for them to be able to see what they do through this paradoxical mobilization lens mm -hmm. can be, I think, it can be refreshing. It can be you know, kind of, um, yeah. So I remember that uh, comment from the B Lab. Uh, mm. We're able to kind of see what they do in a different lens or in, in a different light. Yeah. Kind of like going to a therapist, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, I, I did, a, so as Todd, Todd mentioned, that I, I also did an interview with NOS Media, and mm -hmm. they are now uh, casting the same light on the B Code movement. Mm -hmm. Part of part of because part of it is because of my comments during the interview, but also they did their own research and they they are realizing that B Corp is in the kind of crisis moment where they have to balance between scaling and being you know true to their own ethos and roots. And uh, it seems like that kind of perspective seems to resonate with uh, not just the B Corp but also the media and media you know kind of uh, kind of spreads these kind of ways of seeing the phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. That was another kind of um, uh, quite exciting moment for us. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. So does this then have implications there for also other types of certifications, right? The B Corp's a, is a kind of a different type of certification. I mean, you have organic that's more geared to, towards foods, ingredients. You have fair trade that's more about, it's basically CPG, right, type products. Um, you have Marine Stewardship Council. You have all these different, right, these types of certifications. Um, but B, B Corp is, you know, you know, it expands, like you said, for your specific data set, it was interesting because it spanned industries, right? And a lot of these don't necessarily span industries. They're in the food, supplements, cosmetics, um, or building, et cetera. So what type of implications does this also have for these other certification bodies, specifically nascent ones that are still beginning and still starting out because there's a ton of them? What kind of implications does your research have for these types of uh, firms? <clears throat> what, what, do we, what, what is it? <laughs> what's, what's the implication? 
So, Dave, I thought you were going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a hard question because that's one I'm trying to figure out. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we we did, you know, that that and ultimately in how we framed the paper, we really connected to this literature on all these different um, certifications, all market mm -hmm. alternatives, and tried to situate um, this phenomenon, you know, against the, these other ones, and you know, maybe kind of. Uh, Kind of type typecasted how certain move, alternative movements work, but but ultimately kind of getting at these basic issues that they all face. That you know, not just our paper, but but the Lee Lee et al. paper and, and some other papers have pointed to that there's there's this inherent tension between scaling the movement and and upholding standards, you know, having higher stand maintaining, which is often about maintaining the original standards. Mm -hmm. uh, it's often thought about that way that you start off with really high standards and then, which is not not always the case. Um, I think there's there will be a greater diversity of examples in the literature eventually, yeah. um, but that when we were writing about it, that kind of seemed to be the the common um, uh, expectation. But uh, but yeah, so I think um, yeah, I think I think all these alternative movements face these these basic tensions, and um, a lot more research could be done about how they handle them. Like you know, we're kind of driven by this one case and this one interesting thing that we saw, but like we point out that there's these other papers like. Um, there's a paper that talks about the network structure um, and how that affects the development of a sustainable tourism label. Mm -hmm. There's um, a paper that talks about like how time plays into it. Um, there's a Hedberg and Lounsbury and that you can kind of space over time your attention to, to these different goals and stuff. Um, but I think there's, yeah, so much of this is, I, so much of this research, I guess, is driven by these interesting phenomena. Mm -hmm. Interesting. There's th these individual certifications are so interesting and yeah. the stories around them and, and the people who uh, and, the, and the, the people who are involved and stuff. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of the premise to our paper too, is that the world is always changing and new th interesting things are always happening. And, you know, this happened at this earlier time, but now something, you know, now time has been layered on top of that. There's, yeah. there's history layered on top of that. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there's no shortage of research opportunities, I think, <laughs> in this, in this general area. Yeah, well, that that's that's nice to hear because that's this is definitely my area for sure. So yeah, I agree. So. Good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear more about how it relates to all of your experiences in the industry and stuff. Um, and I would just say also like, it's so easy to when you know the review process often uh, most of the time it doesn't go the way you want. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's and it's so maddening and all these things, but when it does work, like. Uh, it's definitely a co-production process that we yeah. and I are definitely not the sole authors of this paper. <laughs> um, we had a lot of uh, help from the reviewers and editor and especially the editor and um, also some friendly reviewers along the way. Okay. Well, so nice to meet you too. <laughs> and enjoy so the rest of the day. Us. Hey, no problem. We'll see you later. See you in Boston then. We'll see you in Boston. Bye. Bye. Take care.